You're listening to Legal Skies, a podcast by the Law Society of Saskatchewan. This is Season 3, Episode 3. Please note that this recording was made on Zoom and we apologize for any poor audio quality. I'm Julie Shabawali, your host for Legal Skies. On the eve of the upcoming school year, we discuss how law students are learning about the future of law. Joining us on Zoom are Tim Bound QC, Executive Director of the Law Society of Saskatchewan, Martin Phillipson, Dean of the College of Law at the University of Saskatchewan, and Craig Zuwada QC, past president of the Law Society. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Julie. Morning, Julie. Great to have you all here. Tim, I wanted to start with you and ask you about the work that the Law Society has been doing related to competency and how that relates to the College of Law. Thanks, Julie. Uh, good to see everybody this morning. Um, I'd like to, I guess, begin by saying that uh, in 2018, when we were discussing our current strategic plan, um, it became apparent that uh, several of our discussions around the venture table had to do with uh, uh, some of the competencies that would be required in the future in order to succeed at the practice of law, because the world, as we know, is quickly changing. Um, So we took... uh, uh, those concepts and reduce them in our strategic plan um, uh, down to a general statement where uh, we acknowledged that we would take uh, a broad approach um, to uh, competency, um, recognizing that more than uh, just the substantive knowledge um, of, of law would be required um, in, in the future. And technology is a, a good example of, of one of those um, areas that will have a tremendous impact on, on the practice going forward. And I think it's something that we've all recognized going through COVID where um, it has been a, a very accelerated pace over the last 16 or 18 months. Um, we also are kind of uniquely positioned in the province. Um, we're uh, a, a one law school uh, province and we have the benefit of having uh, the Dean of the College of Law uh, sit ex officio as uh, uh, a member of our venture table. Um, and uh, of course, deeply involved in a lot of our committee work. Um, uh, the fact that uh, I think we're what I would refer to as a right-sized province for collaboration um, has led to many conversations between Martin and myself and and others about being uniquely positioned to develop the, the closest relationship between a regulator and a law school of any jurisdiction in the country. Um, after the strategic plan was uh, was formalized in September of 2018, um, Martin and I had several discussions about how we might work together um, uh, to push some of these competencies, both for the benefit of law students and members of the profession. Um, uh, and <clears throat> Craig and I, at the same time, um, had been having weekly meetings about uh, about the future of law. We've traveled together quite a bit um, to take in conferences of one kind or another about the future of the practice of law. And so quite naturally, this led to uh, discussions um, about um, uh, his possible involvement in the development of some programming uh, that would be both beneficial to the members and to the students of the College of Law. 
And so uh, what this has resulted in is the uh, coordinated development of um, what was initially advanced as a seminar in January of 2021, uh, Craig's class, which is called uh, Transformation in Practice, um, now offered in September as a full class at the College of Law and something that uh, Craig is working on um, converting the concepts from that class uh, into bite-sized education for the membership that's going to be introduced on a weekly basis uh, in five or seven minute videos um, and uh, included as a link in our resource. Well, you covered a lot of ground. Well, you covered a lot of ground, which is fantastic because that just made me think of the uh, the road show. I not road show, but what did you say? The road trip. So <laughs> you, yeah. you 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 took a road trip through perhaps the last eighteen months of the legal profession in a very short time, which is which is well done. Uh, so, Dean Martin, I wanted to um, turn to you. Uh, as Tim mentioned, you are quite involved with the Law Society as a venture. And also uh, there's Craig's class uh, in the upcoming school year regarding the transformation of the practice of law. So I wanted to hear your perspective on, on how this relationship between the Law Society and the College of Law is so important. Well, I mean, there are two reasons. One, um, it's a real privilege to be a bencher. There are very few provinces where the Dean of the Law School actually gets to be a bencher. And I think that's a huge advantage. And um, I was in Quebec a few years ago, and actually I was dragged in front of the head of the Barreau du Québec, the head of the Advocates of Quebec with the Dean of McGill, who basically was pleading with them that he get to sit, or at least a Quebec Dean gets to sit at the table with the leaders of the profession, because it, 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 it just gives such insight into how the profession works. It also, I think, uh, I provide a sort of a slightly different perspective as a bencher. But then what I think it does, it means that I think I have a much better idea of what our students need to know in that aspect of their work. Yeah, I got all the academic stuff cased. We got good profs that can teach them that stuff. But there are things we don't know. And by building these relationships and by being around the table and seeing the issues that faces the profession, I think it's always been a tension in law schools between being an academic institution and nobody wants us to be a trade school. But the reality is we are the first stop in their professional career and professional education. And there's a lot of molding goes on in law school. And I think that we need the profession to be involved in that, need them to think about that mindset and think about what it means to be a professional and think about now in the sort of tail end of COVID, hopefully, and with the rapid changes that were going on in the delivery of legal services with new technology, AI, all that kind of stuff, students need a very different skill set. And the only people who are at the front end of that now are those practicing who are really seeing those changes in real time. And what we have to do is prepare the students for the unknown, right? You know, the traditional route of, I'll get my articling job, I'll work for seven to 10 years, I'll make partner, and then I'll work for another 25 years, and then I'll cash out. I don't know if that's a really realistic model for the value. If it ever was, maybe 20 to 30% of our students maybe followed that path, but that was the traditional path that we based our education on, we based the firm's based recruitment on. That's all gone now. You know, so lots of the things we have to work on about professionalism, about interprofessional learning, and other things like that, because our job is to prepare students to be ready for change, not that they can handle it all or that they know exactly what they're going to do, not a roadmap, but they're ready for something and they're, uh, they have an ability to appreciate 
the changes that are going on and to reinvent the profession, which is a good thing, right? That's a good thing. I think this is also empowering to the students to say, well, that's not how I want my work life to go. And so I'm now being made aware that, hey, there are lots of different ways that I could slice and dice a legal career. And it may be I'll be the only lawyer in a startup with a bunch of tech people. I may be on my own, never seeing a client other than across the screen. You know, there's all kinds of things that are opening up. And I think it's really important that as a law school and a profession, we work together to prepare them as best we can. So the insights I've had from being a bencher and the privilege of working with people at the society have given me a better insight into what my students need. And that's why we have a class. And that's why we want to run conferences and develop stuff to actually make, I think, the possibilities um, Saskatchewan can be like a great little legal laboratory because of this relatively small population, the close relationship we have with the bar that we can actually experiment. We can do things differently here and we should be leaders because we have a whole range of opportunities from me being a bencher to a very supportive law society to relatively small numbers and very, and, you know, in a good relationship with the provincial government that we can actually do things. We can actually get things done that other provinces can't do. And therefore, we should really capitalize on that advantage and make us a leader in legal regulation and the preparation of students to become lawyers. So I think there are so many fabulous opportunities that we really have to capitalize on that. And COVID has just made it even easier, I think, because now there's an appetite for change. And well, maybe things are going to be different. And I really think we have to capitalize on that. And that's why we want to have Craig's position, why we want to become a hub for rethinking um, you know, what it means to be a lawyer. Yeah, you, as as similar to Tim, you just covered a lot of really excellent points. And, and I think the two key things that you said, Martin, is about experimentation and the, the positive impact of change and how Saskatchewan is really in a unique position to have all the major players at the table and really empower people to, to make these changes. Uh, I think that's a great segue into discussing with you, Craig, about your course, um, The Transformation and Practice of Law. Uh, I wanted to hear about your experience from the past term and what you hope to accomplish in this upcoming term. Yeah, thanks, Julie. I think one of the most interesting observations and, and maybe a pleasant validation was how the course design work in practice. And as Tim mentioned, we started working on the ideas from this three years ago before anyone had heard of COVID. And one of the original design elements was to actually use, while teaching the technologies that students would probably have in their, in their careers. Uh, you know, so for example, we planned on having many of our classes held by video conferencing, which in 2018 and even 2019 was kind of a radical idea. And it turned out to become the norm due to, due to COVID. And, and happily, because we'd set it up that way, we didn't have to reconstruct or reimagine the course to convert it to online. But even better, it, it pretty much worked largely as we envisioned it. So, you know, obviously, we learned things for the next term, which starts in September. But, but I think we did demonstrate that even tougher aspects like workshops or brainstorming sessions can work in a virtual environment when you when you can't get together. Another thing that I was really struck by was the um, the appetite of the students for this kind of thing. Like, you know, we there was a big ask. This was a brand new course. And so they couldn't talk to other students who had taken it to find out what it was about. They were sort of taking a leap of faith 
in terms of, of what they were going to do. And, um, and, and, and frankly, it was amazing how, how engaged they were and how much they threw themselves into it. You know, because we were doing it entirely online, like the rest of the college, um, some of my students were in Calgary, some were in Southern Ontario, one was in Newfoundland, one was on a First Nation down in Southeastern Saskatchewan. Um, and, you know, not you, you obviously would have those points of view if you were in person, but the fact that they were still living within those communities, I think really enriched the, the whole aspect of where we're going. And brought home to the fact that, yeah, even, even though as, as Martin uh, explained uh, in, in another fashion that, you know, two thirds of the, of the students are going to end up practicing in Saskatchewan, not all of them are. And um, the fact is that we can export a lot of these ideas not just through the Saskatchewan legal community, but nationally and internationally. And the, the sort of the national aspect of residence uh, played into that a little bit. That's really fascinating to think about law students in different parts of the country participating in a future of law course. Talk about just being right on the nose there. Um, Martin, I, I wanted to ask you what, what you think the impact of, of Craig's course will, will be in the long term for, for law students. Well, I think that, um, again, there's always been a tension in law schools between touching anything involving practice wasn't really regarded as academic and wasn't really regarded as learning. It was, oh, no, we, we leave that to the profession. There was a very, very clear division between your academic world, which was the three years in law school, and then you just dropped into the profession. Well, that was an incredibly artificial sort of division, but also I think it le led to issues. I've, I've talked at length with the benches. One of my big things is the transition between school and practice, the transition between school and practice. It's never been handled particularly well. You know, one, you know, in April, you're writing a final, and then three weeks later, you're wearing a suit sitting in an office. And now you're a lawyer, you've gone from student writing a tax exam to sitting at a desk with something on your desk. What am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to behave? You know, what am I supposed to do? So I think that sort of artificial distinction or the sort of enforced distinction is something that has been chipped away at. But I think that, again, the opportunities that technology and other things provide make it even more important that that division disappears. And that, and it isn't thinning out the academic content of a degree to have students thinking about their futures and thinking about, I mean, again, you know, we talk a lot about, um, about reflective practice. You know, we've talked a lot about those sorts of things. And I think this fits in with that to reflect about what it means to be a professional. What skills do I need to do? I'm not coming in here knowing everything, which is something that some law students suffer from is they're all, a lot of them are fairly confident that they know what they're doing. And it's a bit of a rude awakening when they're like, actually, I kind of don't know what I'm doing. It's, so it's really important to think that we plant the seeds of thoughtfulness, creativity, reflection, that they have a skill set that they can apply to whatever issue challenges them. So I think that's the really important thing, that the course is a really clear, tacit acknowledgement that they are going to be professionals and there are big challenges and they need to start thinking about those challenges and trying to embrace change rather than saying, well, I just don't want to go near that. I think it's actually, I've said to students, um, you know, we have very good 
you know, well over 90% of our students every year get, get work, get articles. So they get jobs. So why don't you have people who are thoughtful and going to think about this and think about the structures that surround them and the way things work and maybe challenge a few things of the status quo? That's a good thing, right? That they are equipped with some some ideas and thoughts, but they've actually thought consciously. I've always, again, it's that sort of there's an unconscious journey through law school and an unconscious journey in the profession where I just I get my degree, again, I get my articles, I start practicing. That's a very unconscious journey. You're not thinking anything through that other than get my bit of paper, get my bar admissions, get articles. Let's have a conscious journey through that and think about what it means to be a lawyer and how I want to practice and how do I want to work. I think that's the other thing we haven't talked about yet. And I'm not going to go on sort of a rant about millennials. I think it's exactly the opposite is that some of the, some of the students now we have aren't going to work 90 hours a week. They're just not going to do that. They don't want to live like that. They don't want to work like that, but they still want to practice law and they can be very smart and be good lawyers. So I think it's also about a generational shift in what the world of work looks like, period. And it just so happens that I think every school, professional or otherwise, should be talking to their students about the future of work and what it looks like. And so in a law school, I think it's great that we have a class that actually specifically focuses on that and focuses on the transformation and gets them to think about the myriad issues that you don't learn from a substantive class on wills and estates or tax or constitutional law, where you don't get any space to actually think or talk about that. So I think that's the other point. It's creating a space within the curriculum where you think consciously about your end goal, not just about passing the final. And I think that's actually really important too. So it's it's a consciousness raising sounds a bit lame, but that's basically what it is. It's trying to get them to think more strategically and a bit more broadly about their future. Yeah, Martin, as you as you discuss, you know, consciousness and thoughtfulness, and I don't know if you mentioned this word, maybe even mindfulness or being mm. present um, in your career, that makes me think of professionalism and competency that that Tim started us off in the conversation. Uh, so, Tim, I wanted to to throw that a final question to you, um, as Martin did bring up quite a few issues about um, professionalism, technology, and change, and and training the next generation of lawyers to be able to manage that. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Um, I, I, I wanted to add really quickly here, I always get a kick out of it when people refer to uh, Martin as Dean Martin. But uh, uh, in any event, um, you know, I think that one of the other big strategic commitments that we've made as a law society is to uh, really foster the idea of coaching over policing. Um, you know, taking proactive steps in terms of our relationship with uh, our membership uh, to ensure that they have the resources uh, that are required uh, to develop practices that are not only going to benefit um, them in terms of having uh, striking a proper work-life balance, um, but also remaining relevant um, in this world of change to the clients that, uh, that they're serving. Um, I think uh, particularly since the Code of Professional Conduct um, has been amended to include technological competence as an area that lawyers are responsible for, we feel uh, a strong obligation to assist lawyers to develop those, uh, those skills. So we're really hopeful that that and 
um, eventually as we continue our collaboration and grow, developing deeper connections between the students who are entering the profession um, and uh, lawyers who are in practice um, will serve these goals. So um, I'd be very interested though to hear if Craig had anything to add to those comments. Yeah, and I that Tim and, and also Martin's, you know, implied that you know there's more, there's way more that can go into this, and that, and that's right. There's, the the chief problem we have is sort of fitting this all into the time, and we always saw this as just a first step in in the whole, well, not just the partnership between the college and and the law society, but in the whole. Uh, educational aspect, not just for students and lawyers, and 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 that won't necessarily just be adding on additional classes. There's, uh, I, I don't want to be too much of a tease, but I, I, there, there's other ideas we're tossing around right now, which are really exciting. And uh, you know, one of the, I, I, I love working with big big idea people and Martin and Tim certainly fall into that category. So this has really been really fun. One of the biggest problems we face is just that there's so much to talk about and only so much time in a class term to cover it all. And we've got a few more hours this year to do it. Um, we were fortunate to have guest speakers in our first term like Jordan Furlong and Andrew Arruda to, to talk. And, and you could tell from the students' reactions that they just ate that stuff up because there was not just the the content that they were talking about, but the the opening up the the horizons, and you could sort of just see those visions expand as as students were listening to it. And there's so many smart people that we can have in areas like mental wellness or equity and diversity, just to name a couple. The largely online nature of our course really helps with that. We don't have to fly these experts in or find just local experts. We literally have the pick of the world. And it's always been gratifying that I've always, I've never had a no from someone when I when I explain what we're trying to do and they and ask if they can speak. So I think that shows that there is this appetite and 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 the dawning of it, and really credit to the to the college and the law society for sort of expanding on this. Because I, if I can, sorry, if I can chip in, um, you know, one of the things we talk about in law and our plan is that we want to be what we call the home of the engaged professional. And what do we mean by an engaged professional? Well, it's a professional for a start, but somebody who has an understanding, a deep understanding of reconciliation and the issues that go along with that, has an understanding of issues of equity, diversity, inclusion, has an understanding of the importance of mental health and wellness. And so what we're trying to do, and I think what this course does, is expand the notion of, of a professional beyond just a competent lawyer. Right. Everybody wants to be a competent, but competency is much broader now. That it has to be somebody who's willing to acknowledge their own issues if they're having problems to be able to talk about it, to understand again reconciliation, to understand issues of equity, diversity, inclusion. So in orientation this year, we have anti-racism and anti-oppression training. We're building anti-racism and anti-oppression programming to go throughout the school. We were the first school thing to require students to do a minimum number of credits in Indigenous and Aboriginal law as part of actually graduating the school. So I think. As the challenges of the legal profession become greater, the range of competencies that are required go beyond book learning and understanding the law and applying the law effectively. There's a whole range of, and then throwing access to justice and appreciation of the role of the profession in trying to tackle something that in many respects they've created themselves. 
You know, the access to justice issue can't be solved by governments. It has to be solved by professions too. And so we're getting the students to think about these much broader issues, but saying part of being a 21st century legal professional is an appreciation of access to justice, reconciliation, equity, diversity, and inclusion, mental health and wellness. That's part of being a professional, a truly well-rounded professional. And that's why we need courses like Craig's. And that's why we need to expose our students to those sorts of issues, because that will benefit the profession in the long run if we have a healthier, more aware, more engaged profession. And that's the, really the end goal. We will have better lawyers. Right? And I think that's really important. And that's, that's got to be the goal of A, an educational institution, and B, a professional regulator. And we can't do that in isolation. We have to work together to push towards that goal. We, we won't get it perfect, but we certainly know the things and the attributes that we want our legal professionals to have. And you have to plant the seeds early and get them to work on it. And then that's where the CPD thing comes in, that you follow up with that. So we plant the seed, we get them exposed to it, but then you have to make sure that they are constantly reminded of the need to be a broad, competent professional, not just a good legal technician. Yeah, I, I also find it uh, worthy of mention that uh, though you know it's probably premature to talk about um, some of the exciting ideas that have been floating around about uh, possibilities for our collaboration going forward. Uh, starting in September of this year, Craig will uh, become uh, uh, the Law Society Scholar at, uh, at the College of Law at the U of S to continue this work. So this is even going to deepen that connection um, between practitioners, law students, the college and the Law Society. And I think inevitably uh, this collaboration is going to be very, very important um, as we head forward into a decade that um, is uh, very exciting on the one hand, um, but, but deeply unknown on the other. On that note, I can I can tell that you're all big thinkers because we covered so many topics in a short time. And I look forward to ongoing discussions uh, with you, Tib, and Dean Martin and Craig on the future of law and the future of the practice of law. Thanks again for being on the show. Most welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thanks, Julie. Thank you for listening today. We hope you found the podcast informative and would love to hear your feedback, comments, or suggestions. You can contact us at podcast at lawsociety.sk.ca. Until the next episode, I leave you with this quote from Abraham Lincoln. The best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time.